Well, good morning. My name is Lauren Taylor. I'm one of the campus pastors here at Whitworth. I really love my job. I love what I do. I love working here. I love thinking about God. I love hanging out with students. I love hanging out with the CMCs. Little plug, CMC applications open on Thursday for next year. Um, and I love chapel. I love chapel. And uh, I'm really excited about chapel this semester. Like Forrest introduced to us last week, we're going to make our way through the book of 1 Peter this semester in chapel. And it's got some really important things for us to learn and to meditate on together. Um, and so today, I want to read for you uh, a passage of scripture from 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Now, this semester, we can't sing in chapel together. And so as another way to participate with our bodies in worship, I'm going to invite you all to stand as I read God's word out loud. Hear this from the letter of 1 Peter. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You who are being protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice. Even if now for a little while you have to suffer various trials so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, even though perishable, is tested by the fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you have not seen him, you love him. You love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy, for you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Thanks be to God. You can take a seat. So what we have here this morning is a really long introduction to this letter. I have a four-year-old who's really into dinosaurs right now. And when I read this passage, I feel like I'm listening to Theo try to tell me everything that he knows about dinosaurs. And I'm like, dude, slow down. you got to take a breath if you want me to follow. Right? Peter goes on and on and on. And so if you got lost, that's okay. Let me uh, pull out some important points here because I think Peter is trying to teach us something really important about hope. The overall theme here in the introduction to this letter is that Peter is listing off all of these really wonderful reasons why we can celebrate that God is good. He says, blessed be God, because God gives us new life, because God gives us an eternal inheritance, because God protects us even in trials, because Jesus was raised from the dead. We have a living hope. So blessed be God and praise Jesus. Peter writes, and he kind of sounds a little bit like that friend who uses too many exclamation points in their emails. You know what I'm talking about? Peter is rejoicing in God's goodness and faithfulness here at the beginning of the letter. Okay, so we've got that, but why? 
Why this long shout out to God here? Why this enthusiastic declaration? Well, I think if we tease out some other clues here from the text, we can figure it out. The first thing, one, there's these phrases kind of woven throughout the letter about suffering. Did you catch that in the introduction? Peter says uh, to his readers, he says, even though you might have to suffer various trials for a time, and throughout the rest of the letter, he kind of mentions suffering and trials and, uh, and, and hard times. And so we, we, we get, we understand that these people that he's writing to, they're going through something difficult. They're going through something difficult. Second clue, if we kind of take a peek into this historical context for a second, we'll see that these Christians that Peter is writing to, they don't have it easy. Remember, this is first century first century when Rome was still in charge. And these Christians would have come to know Jesus within this Roman context, in this Roman world. Now remember, Rome did not like Jesus. Rome hated Jesus. They killed Jesus, right? And they didn't like the Jesus followers either. They killed a lot of them too. And so if Rome is in charge, they're the ones in power, and Rome is at odds with the Christians, Rome is going to do its best to squelch all that momentum in the church, right? They're going to try to make life difficult for these Christians, push them to the edges of society. And so we see this group of Christians who's being pushed to the margins. And Peter is writing to this group of people then who are thirsty for hope. They're searching, they're grasping, they're trying to find what's going to buoy me up, what's going to give me hope here. And they need to be reminded that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that gospel truth, is real. So, these Christians, this church at this time, they're pushed to the edges, right? And if we use our imaginations here, we can kind of pick up that they probably lived most of their days feeling like they don't belong, right? They're eking out their lives on the edges of society, and their daily life, deepest loyalties, they're not matching up with the community that surrounds them. What matters most to these Christians is really different than what matters most to everyone else. Now, this might sound like a great movie where you get to cheer for the underdog, but the daily reality of this is hard. It is not glamorous. Not only is this incredibly lonely and terribly unsettling to feel so out of step with everyone around you, but in this case, it probably involves a suffering under these rulers and authorities of the day wasn't justified, that didn't have a reason for it, that probably wasn't corrected, that feels maybe a little unseen, and that didn't have any promise of getting better or going away. And so the question here behind this text, the question for these Christians is this, in what do I put my hope? In what do I put my hope? Is it the government? Is it my community? Is it my success? 
Is it finding approval from others? Do I put my hope in trying to find a better future? The answer to all of this is no. It's no. All of these things will give you what we'll call a dead hope, a stale hope, a fleeting hope, because your candidate is not always going to win. Your community is going to make the wrong decision. You will fail. People are not always going to like you. Your future is not always going to be this upward trajectory. In fact, there's going to be places in your future that are going to feel like they're getting worse, not getting better. All of these things are going to give you a dead hope. They're going to disappoint. And so these Christians in 1 Peter, they're asking actually a very relevant question because that feels pretty relevant to me right now, right? In what do we put our hope? What do we put our hope in so that even if this situation never gets better, I'm going to be okay? What do we put our hope in so even if it doesn't end like I want it to, I'm going to be okay? Where is my hope ultimately grounded? This is the question for us this morning. You know, Derek and I, we are in the middle of watching a really fascinating new documentary series on PBS about the black church in America. And as I've been watching the host, Henry Louis Gates, take us through the slave trade and plantations and the Civil War and Jim Crow and civil rights, and as I watch Henry Louis Gates narrate the story of the black church in America, of generation after generation of these African-American Christians who are enduring this incredible suffering who are enduring death and destruction, and they're teetering right on the brink of despair, generation after generation teetering right on the brink of despair, I realized that these brothers and sisters in Christ are sitting with the same question that comes at us from 1 Peter. In what do we put our hope? Will we be okay even if the worst should happen? And I think that this African-American church is in good company, right? When I think back through the story of Scripture, I think about Abraham, who had to think about hope, who had to ask, will I be okay even if I have to sacrifice my one and only son in whom God has promised me so much, will I be okay if I lose my one and only son? And what do I put my hope? I think about Mary, who also had to think about hope, right? And she had to ask, will I be okay even if I have to raise this baby on my own? Even if we're scraping together pennies and we lose our friends and our community, in what do I put my hope? Will we be okay? I think about Paul who asks, will I be okay even if I lose my position, my authority, my power in the ranks, if I follow this 
blinding light of Jesus, in what do I put my hope? There's a lot that tries to get in the way of hope that forces us to look at this question right square in the eyes and ask, will we be okay? Even if you don't get the grade, even if you don't win the game, even if it doesn't work out between you and them, even if you don't get into that program or that school or you don't land that job, will you be okay even if you've got to wear a mask for a year and be totally disconnected from your community? Will you be okay if you've got to bear the brunt of this burden and you don't know when it will end? Where will your hope be found? But friends, I have good news. The good news is that Jesus showed us, Jesus showed us that even if you lose your life, even if you lose your life, you will be okay. You will be okay because Jesus said, whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Esau McCauley, an African-American New Testament scholar, reflecting on his experience as a black man in America and as a Christian, he writes this, Christian hope, Christian hope is not merely a wish for a better future that may or may not actually improve. Christian hope is rooted in the resurrection. He writes, I have hope because I believe that Christ is risen. He goes on, stated differently, when I am tempted to fall into cynicism, when I'm teetering on the brink of despair, he says, I have to ask myself the most important question. Is the tomb empty? Is the tomb empty? Because if the tomb is empty, then death, where is your sting? If the tomb is empty, if Jesus really rose from the dead, then there is literally nothing, nothing, not even the fear of death that can get in the way of our hope because Jesus is Lord even over death, because Jesus is Lord even over the worst thing. This is what it means to have a living hope. And so Peter draws on this. And he's looking at these exiles scattered around this Roman world who are wavering. They're wavering, they're wondering, they're questioning, they're watching all of these obstacles pop up and try to get in the way of hope. And Peter picks up his pen and he systematically knocks them out one by one, just obliterates every hurdle that gets in the way with every stroke of his pen and he talks about a living hope that we have in the resurrected Jesus. And he writes, blessed be God, because God gives us a new life in Jesus, because God gives us an eternal inheritance, because God protects us even in trials, and because Jesus was raised from the dead, we have a living hope. So blessed be God and praise Jesus, our living hope.
Amen. Okay, we will invite the band up to sing one more song. It is 1130. If you need to head to class, you are free to do that. You are blessed by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you want to stick around, you can do that. If you need prayer, Chrissy and Janelle will be over at the side. We welcome you uh, to worship the rest of this day. And if you want to stay and worship with us this last long, please do that. Amen. Thank you.